our story and some of what we've been through in the hope that where you are, what you're doing, and maybe where you're going, that can resonate with you in your context, whether that's in England or Wales or Northern Ireland or even Scotland. But we just want to take a moment to, to share together. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 4. We heard in our last session, Phil Knox, we're a screen-addicted generation. As I was preparing some thoughts, I've been sat in John 4 for a couple of weeks, actually, and some of that I brought to my church back in Luton. But this clip came up as I was thinking about John 4, and, and it just resonated so much with me. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That bad, huh? What? You, would you? Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon. In the heat, so you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but. I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? 
I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. <sighs> As you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. I promise. Watch The Chosen, I really recommend you download that app. There's two seasons completely free um, and it just brings 
the characters of the Bible to life. We know them so well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul's epistles, all those things, but actually seeing it on screen and the way that the chosen humanizes the characters, even Jesus is just so phenomenal. Now, I could preach on that story for, for months, literally, there's so many points we could pull out there. It takes one person to catch something that changes everything. The power of encounter, you will always get more than what you came for when it comes to Jesus. But I don't want to pre preach about something particularly sexy this afternoon. What I want to speak on is shame. And I didn't want to put that in the program because no one would come. <laughs> shame. And I remember when I was about 15 years old and I was in year 10 at school and we had to do work experience. And I was trying everywhere to get into like music shops and jazz clubs. I wanted to be a musician at the time, a jazz musician, but nowhere would have me. And it got to like deadline day and uh, I just hadn't got a place. So I ended up having to go to my dad's law firm. My dad's a solicitor. And it's like the most boring thing that you could ever possibly imagine. If you're a law student or a lawyer, I apologise, but I would rather put my head in a toilet than sit in that office for longer than I did. And there was one particular afternoon that he palmed me off on a secretary and she had to teach me, her job was to teach me the power of precedent. Doesn't that sound cool? The power of precedent. Basically, if you don't know, it was a three-hour lesson. I'm going to give it you in 10 seconds. Lawyers have a way of making everything very flowery and long. Precedent is finding something that that was made, a decision that was made before, a point that was made before, that won a decision and using it as an example of why the current decision should be made. Does that make sense? So I know loads of you are watching Johnny Depp and Amber Heard at the minute, don't lie, you're in church, can TikTok, Instagram. They're looking for precedents everywhere to try and prove points. But I want to talk to you for just literally five minutes about a well-set precedent. A well-set precedent. If you're clever, you saw what I did there. A well-set precedent. I want you to take a minute to think about what the well would be illustrative of for this woman. You heard in that clip, contextually, the women of, of the town in Samaria, of Sychar, would go in the morning, they'd gather their water, they'd get it all up for the day. This was before Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. There was no newspaper, no social media, no Sky News. So you would go to the well for all the gossip or if you're a Christian, the prayer requests. You go and you catch up and you talk to each other, you get the information on what's happening and where it's happening, and then you go home and you tell all your friends about what happened at the well. But of course we learn in this little clip that this woman wasn't accepted or invited to the well. She waited for everyone to depart to go and get her water. Why? Because she was a sinful woman. She had five husbands and the man she was living with now wasn't her husband. Even in 2022, we're going to be suspicious if a woman wants to date us or a man and they've had five ex-spouses. Something's not quite right there. The well represented shame for the woman. It represented shame. And I want to ask you for a minute to think in your life, what does the well represent in your life? Now, I know you're holy, I know you look good, and I know you're in church, but every single one of us has a well. Some are very, very deep and dark. Some are maybe just a little bit small. But a well can be defined like this. It's a place where we come to that shows up our own insecurities and inadequacies in the face of God. It's a place where we go, where we look around before we go there to make sure no one's watching. It might be a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend. It might be a deep, dark secret. It might be an internet site. It might be a social media platform that you keep going to the wrong stuff on. But what does your well represent? It was about 10 and a half years ago now when I was at Bible college. I had a calling from God to be a pastor. I was convinced that I was going to be a pastor. God showed up radically in my life at 20 years old and completely changed it. In an instant, everything changed. 
And very, very quickly, I went home to my home church where I hadn't been for four years, got under the, the care of my pastor, a guy called Stuart Blount, who some of you will know, who just saw and stoked this calling of God on my life. And six months after recommitting my life to Jesus, I was at Bible college. Now, I'd like to say it went very well, and you might think it went very well, but it didn't go very well. It ended up with me, and there's a few people in this room I've seen uh, around who are at Bible college with me, and they can give you all the prayer requests or the gossip at the end of the session. I ended up getting kicked out of Bible college. Even worse than that, Ealing Bible College, and I'm an Ealing boy, so everyone knows everyone in Ealing. You already know that. So incestuous. Everyone just is connected. I ended up getting kicked out of, of Bible college, and it was just so shameful. And for me, Regents became that well. I used to have meetings up at Bible College after sort of going through my church and restoration. You used to have to go up to, to Malvern. And if you've been to Malvern, there's this massive hill. And every time I go up the hill, my stomach would go and I'd start to get nervous and sweating and, and seeing people who saw my shame moment. But I want to tell you, just like the woman at the well, God can take our place of humiliation and bring transformation. A place where there's so much mess, there's so much shame. If I was a 90s preacher, I'd say it like this. God can make a message out of your mess. He can make a testimony out of your test. And it's a silly adage and it's a Christian meme, but it's so true. How significant was it that Jesus chose probably the most unclean, the dirtiest, the person with the worst reputation in not only the whole country, but in the whole region probably, to go and be his first missionary. One encounter with Jesus changes everything. And as I said, last two years, it only takes one person to catch something, changes everything. And I wonder for you as a young leader, or maybe a slightly older leader, how many times that we have felt the fire of God in our bellies, but a well has just gotten in the way. We keep going back to the well for well water, but God offers living water. I find it so significant that at the end of that clip, and you'll see it in your Bible, as the woman is running away back to her town, the disciples look and say, hey, wait, you've forgotten your water. You see, when you meet Jesus, the things that mattered so much before, the things that bound us, that held us, the things that we rely on, they just don't matter anymore. It's gone. It doesn't matter. Two years ago, I, uh, I became a lead pastor for the first time. Mental, aren't they, Elim? I made sure someone went in there secretly and burnt all my files. No, no. <laughs> became a lead pastor, and the person who greeted me at the door of my new church, my new assistant pastor, was the principal of the Bible college who had to kick me out. And I'm not blaming him. It, I needed to be kicked out of that college, I'm telling you now. Isn't that an amazing way for God to work? First words he said to Becky and I, he said, I'm here to serve you guys. You are the people for this church. You are called here. You are positioned here. You are planted here. God can make a message out of your mess. He can turn your test into a testimony. But as I speak to young adults, and I've led young adult ministries, I had a great young adult ministry. What I've found, particularly for church kids, if you've been brought up in church, in the noughties or in the 90s, there's this like epidemic of shame in our lives, whether it's from like the silver ring thing or purity culture. Um, I remember my Sunday school teacher telling me that I needed to do well at school, otherwise the demons would be watching. They used to get away with that. Imagine safeguarding now. But I think so many of us as young adults have been brought up in this culture of shame. And that is just not the heart of God. It's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, look, give me your mess. 
forgive me all the things you've done wrong because they can be so powerful. I've got such a soft spot for people who mess up now. For young people who mess up, who've had this calling, this desire of God. And this is not just in ministry, this can be in a secular world where they've just been given a fire from God and they do something wrong and think, right, that's it, well, it's gone. Jesus doesn't work like that. Man sometimes does, but if God has put a calling and a fire in your belly, there isn't anything that is going to stop that. All he calls for is radical obedience to his encounter. Jesus doesn't mince his words. We hear about Jesus meek and mild, and yes, that's absolutely true. And he loves you, but he doesn't always affirm what you do. He will call out the things that are difficult. He will get to the well in your life and say, hey, should you be dipping that bucket in here? We're in love with you. One thing I desire, only this I seek, just to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever. This will be my posture, laying at your we've come a long way since that woman that was at the well but you know it's been over a hundred years that we've had this denomination but it was only yesterday that we had the first female reverend elected to our national leadership that was a big moment in history we've still got lots to do her name is reverend michelle nunn if you go find her get a selfie with her because that was history right then that happened and I just love all of you girls that are up here and that are in the room. But I just want to talk about something real quick. And this was a, a story that came to mind. It's in Exodus. It's about Moses. And um, Hannah, if you just come stand up here for me, I want you just to depict Moses. I just think Moses would have had long hair like you. You're my Moses. And there was a moment in one of the battles and um, the Lord said to Moses, if you go stand up on the hill, and keep your arms up. And as long as you keep your arms up, this battle is gonna be yours. But you know, after a while, the arms got tired and heavy. And so they were like, the Lord was like, go get her a chair, get her a stone, you can sit down. And then someone come and hold up one hand over here. And, and Abs, you come up this side and hold her arm up here and keep Moses' arms up. And as long as your arms are up, the battlemen down here, look like you're going to war, they kept winning the victory. But any time they went down, the enemy was taking that victory. And so the team had to get surrounded around the leader to make sure that they were gonna take home the trophy that day. And isn't that, let me just stand back, isn't that a beautiful picture of leadership? We've got my, my troops on the front lines and I'm up the hill and they've put a stone under my bump for comfort and they're holding up my arms and they're ready to get right in the armpit so that you can succeed as leader. And this is a great snapshot that we see in leadership that we talk about. But you know, this was just one square on the Instagram reel on Moses' page. This was just one snapshot of leadership. This is not always the reality that we're surrounded by a host of people that are believing the mandate on your life and holding up your arms. See, most of the time you can back away and drop your arms and you can sit on the floor. What happens when the army sit down 
and the people that were supposed to hold up your arms, they turn away. And when you're out the room, they lead the people in a completely different direction. Because that's what Aaron did to Moses when he went up the hill and out the room. Because we're people and we're family. And sometimes we mess up. And sometimes we don't show up for each other. And you know, before this battle, you see, Moses had a lot of battles. He had a whole war. This was just one battle. And before this battle, his people were saying to him, hey, Moses, they were accusing him of trying to murder them. They were going, Moses, we're so thirsty. You're trying to kill us. And then right after this victory, they had Moses running around doing everything. He was so tired. And I want to tell you this, leadership is costly. Leadership, it is heavy at times. Sometimes it looks like that beautiful picture and there will be those times. There will be. But a lot of the time, Moses had to hold up his own staff. A lot of the time, we're gonna have to hold up our arms. We're gonna have to hold up the mandate that God has given us. If you wanna just stand right now, Girls, you can just stay with me because I like you here. But this is, if it's too much, you can sit down, do whatever you want. <laughs> just put out your arms. You know, one of the biggest things that make your arms collapse and your arms get tired is shame. And you've got to drop that here at this altar today. I want you to just feel right now as you drop the shame, that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is just gonna fill your hands. Then fill your hands. You might be able to feel something tangible. Something that you can't quite describe or put into words. hands right now is not a weight it's a mandate what is falling upon your hands right now and on your shoulders is not a weight but it's a mantle it's a word that I'm carrying for you today that I want you to hear if you don't remember anything I want you to remember you are not called to carry a weight you're called to carry a mantle the Bible says that his yoke is easy burden is light and that doesn't mean that the mantle isn't weighty it doesn't mean that you're not going to need strength to carry the mantle you're going to need strength to lift your own staff when God tells you to but I want us to be a people in this room and a generation that get good at lifting up our own staff that get good at lifting up our own mantle when there's no one around us to support us when there's no one at our left and our right to uphold our arms. I want us to be people that go, you know what, I'm gonna get my hands and I'm gonna put them up anyway because I am surrounded by the mantle of God. You know what a mantle is? It's when God, He transfers His power to you. It's not light, it's just, it's not something that is not just, and you know, nothing It's important. It takes strength, but it's His power that's coming over you. 
What you carry is gonna be weighty, but it's not gonna be a weight like you know it. It's gonna be the mantle of Jesus.